Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning and welcome to the Q2 Fiscal 2021 Financial Results Conference Call for HLS Therapeutics. On this morning's call, we have Gilbert Godin, Chief Executive Officer, and Tim Hendrickson, Chief Financial Officer. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Following management's presentation, we will conduct a Q&A session during which analysts are invited to ask questions. To ask a question, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone to register. Should you require any assistance during the call, please press star zero. Earlier this morning, HLS issued a news release announcing its financial results for the three and six month periods ended June 30th, 2021. This news release along with the company's MD and A and financial statements will be available on HLS's website and on CDAR. Please note that slides accompanying today's call can be viewed via the webcast, a link of which is available in the company's earnings press release and at its website on the events page. Certain matters discussed today in today's conference uh, call or answers that may be given to questions could constitute forward-looking <clears throat> statements. Actual results could differ materially from those anticipated. Risk factors that could affect results are detailed in the company's annual information form, which has been filed on CDAR at www.cdar.com. During this conference call, HLS will refer to adjusted EBITDA. Adjusted EBITDA does not have any standardized meaning prescribed by IFRS. Adjusted EBITDA is defined in the company's press release and annual filings that are available on CDAR and on the company's website. Please note that all financial information provided is in U.S. dollars unless otherwise specified. I would now like to turn the conference over to Mr. Godin. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you, operator. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us. On our call today, I will start off with a review of uh, operational highlights. Tim will follow with a more detailed look at our financial results and then we'll hold a Q&A session. The second quarter was another strong quarter for HLS, reflecting the reliable contribution of our foundational products like Clauseril and our royalty interest, as well as the emerging contribution from Visipa, a product with the potential to transform our business. With a quick look at the headline numbers, Q2 revenue was $14.9 million, up 19% from Q2 last year. Adjusted EBITDA was $6.6 million, up 36%. And cash from operations was $1.7 million, up from cash used in operations of $4.2 million last year. Tim will dive into these numbers in more detail, but we're very pleased with both our quarterly and year-to-date results as they reflect progress and operational execution during a period with considerable interference from the COVID-19 pandemic. We understand that some observers may feel a little COVID fatigue 
as it relates to the pandemic's impact on our rollout. But we do believe that the skies are clearing and that progress towards the VESIPA inflection point is gaining momentum. We can already see evidence of the positive trend for the product. Looking at several of our key metrics for the launch, the number of patients, prescribers, and prescriptions all continue to increase at a strong clip sequentially. The number of patients grew 41% from Q1 to 4,100, and the number of prescribers grew 44% to 1,050. We will touch on our prescription numbers in a moment, but we believe these two metrics and their respective growth rates help to illustrate the growing interest and awareness of VSEPA and are a good sign of things to come. We have spoken previously of five catalysts that could occur in 2021 and that are essential components in reaching the inflection point for VSEPA. While the uptake curve for the product has been steep and getting steeper of late, the inflection point will represent a shift in the curve to a much more dramatic upward trajectory, which is typically encountered in successful launches when all catalysts come together. At this point, I would like to turn your attention to the slides that are viewable on the webcast. The first slide shows the VSEPA prescription uptake curve through the end of June. There are two key takeaways from the graphs on this slide. The first is that it shows the steadiness of the growth in scripts that have generated, that have generated since launch. Despite being hit hard, and very restricted in our interactions with physicians during the pandemic. In Canada, strict COVID-19 guidelines have been in place for the bulk of the period since launch, and only in the quarter during the month of June have they begun to lift, a stepwise process that will continue during the summer month. Second, and for the reasons we just mentioned, we believe the impact of being included in the treatment Canadian Cardiovascular Society guidelines, Heart and Stroke Foundation guidelines, and Thrombosis Canada is only beginning to be reflected in the curve, and we certainly have not yet felt the fuller impact. We expect to see a greater impact from this in the second half of the year. Probably not a spike, but a steady trend that occurs over an extended period of time. In terms of the five catalysts shown on the right of the slide, today we have achieved reimbursement coverage with firms representing more than 90% of privately covered lives in Canada. And as mentioned, VSEPA is now part of the recommended treatment guidelines from three of the most respected organizations in the field of cardiovascular health. Another catalyst that is developing favorably is that COVID-19 restrictions are easing throughout Canada and the market is beginning to open up as a result. Canada has vaccination rates that are among the highest in the world, with 80% of those 12 and older having received at least one vaccine and 64% in that cohort are fully vaccinated. These numbers are certainly promising in terms of anticipating a shift back towards more traditional patient-physician interaction as well as to greater access to physicians for our team. 
While optimistic and encouraged by these numbers and what we are seeing in the field right now, we know this opening up will be at measured pace as we are now in the summer months and some people will also take some time to adjust to new conditions. While the possible impact of the Delta variant cannot be excluded, we look forward to recent progress being an important tailwind to the uptake curve in the second half of the year. A fourth catalyst is Salesforce expansion to reach the largely untapped audience of primary care physicians. Ultimately, we expect to triple the size of our existing sales team, which will enable us to reach an audience that will be three to four times larger at steady state than the audience we're currently targeting. We would expect to begin to have these new reps in the field in the fourth quarter of this year. The final catalyst is gaining access to public reimbursement for VSIPA. This process remains in progress, and we believe we will reach this outcome within the typical 18 to 24 month window post-launch that is customary for a product like Visipa, which by the way was granted a priority review from Health Canada. Given the strong clinical data supporting the product, the inclusion of Visipa in treatment guidelines of Canadian and renowned International Medical Society, the favorable recommendation from CADETH, and the solid pharmacoeconomic data that shows the cost effectiveness of the product, we look forward to a positive market access outcome for all Canadians that could benefit from this unique cardiovascular protection. The next slide compares the uptake of Visipa to the post-launch script performance of two other cardiovascular drugs, Eliquis and Prodexa. As a reminder, while imperfect, analogs are useful in helping create a sense of perspective. These are two anticoagulants drugs that have similar aim in terms of a focus on cardiovascular risk reduction. This said, we are not suggesting we should match their path, and we all know that the competitive environment are unique and that the underlying market conditions experienced over the last 16 months are distinct from those that existed 10 plus years ago. <coughs> you will note that we have made some changes to this slide since our last call. First, we have removed the range forecasting for quarterly scripts as the ever-evolving pandemic situation has repeatedly impacted our ability to do so. Secondly, we have plotted the script numbers into a bar chart which shows the actual scripts for each product in the respective quarterly period post-launch. Third, we've added a line graph that shows in percentage terms on a quarterly basis post-launch where each product was in terms of its total peak year patient number achieved or projected. For example, in the sixth quarterly period following the launch, Based on the prescription volume, the estimated number of patients that have been prescribed Visipa equates to just about 1.8% of the midpoint of our forecast for peak patients number of 130 to 150,000. For Eliquis, in the sixth quarterly period from launch, they were servicing about 1.4% of their 290,000 peak level patients count, but growing at a fast clip. 
This line chart shows you that in the first two years of a launch, prior to hitting an inflection point, that the uptake should be increasing, but that at that early stage, the patient numbers are still small percentages of what they ultimately could become. We think that at this point, despite the challenges posed by the pandemic, our launch is performing well when compared to two successful cardiovascular products that were not subject to similar conditions in their launch. This reinforces both our confidence in the CEPA and our conviction in its peak year sales estimate of Canadian $275 to $325 million and its peak year potential uh, total of approximately 130 250,000 patients. The chart also shows that Eliquis reached its inflection point in the seventh and eighth quarter uh, timeframe post-launch after they gained broad coverage. This is what we are striving towards now. Reaching it will be a function of the final catalyst coming together. As discussed on the prior slide, we now see measure, measurable improvements in our ability to reach physicians and their ability to see their patient with many restrictions being progressively lifted in Canada. This should elevate our current detailing efforts in the second half of the year and enable us to get a fuller impact from our Salesforce expansion, provided, of course, that we don't see a continuation or worse, a full return of those COVID-19 restrictions due to a Delta variant flare-up. Regardless of any near-term pandemic obstacles, the trend forward is upward, as evidenced by the 40-plus percent quarter-over-quarter -quarter growth in number of patients, prescribers, and prescription. We see the growing number of catalysts combining to further support this positive view of the second half of the year. We are staying focused on the things we can control or influence and uh, on not getting distracted from the big picture. And the big picture is that while the effect of the pandemic is significant, it is temporary, and it doesn't change the fact that the need for cardiovascular protection remains immense, that the VSIPA solution is unique, and therefore the VSIPA potential remains unchanged. Looking now at Clausurel, strong Q2 results again reflect its resilience and its strong attributes as a foundational product for HLS. Clauserol's patients count in Canada through the second quarter was up 3% annually, which is an increase from our Q1 growth rate. That modest amount of growth shouldn't conceal the fact that we have grown our overall share of the market, reflecting the competitive merits of the product and its support system. As lockdown restrictions ease, we expect new patient access to the treatment initiation to continue to improve which could benefit us in the second half of the year. CSAN Pronto, our point-of-care safety blood monitoring device that addresses the biggest barrier to clozapine adoption, is also expected to help improve patient access to Clozarel. 44 CSAN Pronto devices have now been deployed, which is up from 31 in the first quarter and 23 at the end of 2020. Some of the lift in patient counts in the second quarter is a result of the pronto deployments. 
As the market opens up, our deployment strategy is reverting to larger institutional sites, deployments for the second half of the year. The response and feedback from practitioners remain positive, and we look forward to bringing this essential treatment option to a larger patient population as device deployments increase and broader patient-physician access improve. With that, I will turn it over to Tim for a closer look at our second quarter financials. Tim? Thank you, Zilber, and good morning, everyone. Starting with the significant progress on revenue and product sales, revenue for Q2 was $14.9 million, up 19% from Q2 last year. <clears throat> revenue increased due to higher sales from Vasipa, higher royalty revenues, and another qu quarter of very solid clausural results, which for the Canadian clausural business also benefited from the year-over-year -year rebound of the Canadian dollar from the currency lows experienced a year ago in the early months of the pandemic. As Gilbert mentioned, Clausural remains a steady and reliable revenue generator for the business, and the number of Clausural patients in Canada through Q2 increased by 3% annually, which is up from a 2% growth rate at the end of Q1. For Vasipa, it was another quarter of rapid growth as key fundamentals and catalysts that Gilbert described earlier started to come into place. Despite continued lockdowns across most of Canada for most of the quarter, Vasipa product sales increased 42% from Q1 on a sequential quarterly basis. Royalty revenue from the diversified portfolio of royalty interests acquired by the company in September 2020 was $2.2 million in Q2, up from the $1.8 million in royalty revenues in Q2 last year that was based on sales of Absorica in the U.S. market. HLS terminated its ownership of the Absorica marketing rights effective December 31, 2020. As a reminder, we expect the current portfolio of royalty interests to deliver diversified and modestly growing revenues over a 10-year horizon. So far in the six-month 2021 year-to-date period, the portfolio has generated $4.7 million of revenue, comparing favorably with the $8.4 million of royalties for the four quarters prior to acquisition by HLS. Shifting now to expenses, Q2 operating expenses were up 8% from Q2 last year. Most of the increase is the result of higher sales and marketing costs for Vasipa, reflecting additional educational opportunities following the release of the Canadian Cardiovascular Society's updated guidelines at the end of March. There was also an increase in the cost of product sales due to higher volumes of sales of Vasipa and the continuing rollout for CTN Pronto. General and administrative and medical regulatory and patient support costs were relatively flat to modestly lower than the same period last year. Adjusted EBITDA in Q2 was $6.6 million, a 36% increase from Q2 last year. The increase was primarily due to higher sales of Vasipa and higher royalty revenues, which were partially offset by the increase in Vasipa selling and marketing activities and the increase in cost of product sales related to higher sales volumes. Cash generated from operations was $1.7 million in the second quarter, compared to cash used in operations of $4.2 million in the same quarter last year. On a year-to-date basis, cash generated from operations was $8.9 million this year, tracking ahead of the $1.1 million in the same year-to-date period last year. Overall, we continue to have a strong financial position with $21.3 million of cash on hand at quarter end, up from the $20.6 million cash balance at the end of 2020. 
In addition, we have a $35 million revolving facility that remains undrawn as of today. And under the terms of our credit agreement, we are able to request incremental loans up to a maximum amount of $70 million to support acquisitions and other growth opportunities. In addition, in 2020, we filed a preliminary short-form base shelf prospectus to raise up to Canadian $250 million that remains available to us over a period of 25 months should the appropriate strategic opportunity emerge. And finally, yesterday, the Board of Directors declared that the subsequent quarterly dividend of Canadian $0.05 cents per outstanding common share is to be paid on December 15, 2021, to shareholders of record as of October 29, 2021. With that, I'll pass it back to Gilbert for his closing comments. Thank you, Tim. In closing, we are uh, prudently optimistic with respect to the second half of the year as additional catalysts will help drive Vesipa's uptake and improvements in the environment as well as our CSAN Pronto deployments should buoy Clauseril to high new treatment initiation levels. Cardiovascular disease remains the number one killer worldwide. There's a great unmet need addressed by Vesipa. Statins alone are not enough. Vesipa is the first and the only Health Canada-approved drug that has been proven to significantly reduce the risk of death or major cardiac event in patients at risk despite their use of a statin. As the only drug in its class, it has started to and will more and more help improve the lives of hundreds of thousands of Canadians with additional benefits to our healthcare system and society at large. That concludes my prepared remarks. At this point, I will ask the operator to please provide instructions for asking a question. Operator? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll now begin the question and answer session. Should you have a question, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. You'll hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request, and your questions will be polled in the order they are received. Should you wish to decline from the polling process, please press star followed by two. If you're using a speakerphone, please lift the handset before pressing any keys. One moment for your first question. Okay, your first question comes from Noel Atkinson from Clara Securities. Noel, please go ahead. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, uh, good morning, Gilbert and Tim. Uh, thanks very much for taking our questions and well done in Q2. Um, first off, so uh, just your, your discussion of uh, Salesforce expansion, have you made a decision on whether you're going to build out your own in-house Salesforce for the, to market to the primary care physicians or are you going to use a partner? Thank you. Good, good morning, uh, Noel, and thank you for your, your kind comment. Uh, the, uh, the Salesforce expansion question is on the verge of uh, being uh, finalized, and uh, we will certainly communicate uh, those updates in the fairly recent uh, future. Uh, for the time being, uh, the options, uh, or none of the options, have been fully eliminated. Uh, but as I said, uh, that, that decision, uh, as you can expect, will, uh, will be communicated shortly because uh, a deployment in the fourth quarter 
will require that we start to operationalize that decision. So stay tuned. This is something that should be coming during the course of, uh, of August, most probably. Okay. Um, are you still targeting the PCPA negotiations to be done this quarter? We're actually, uh, you know, uh, I guess for, for, no one should say forbidden is too strong a word. Uh, we're held to uh, complete confidentiality with respect to those discussions. They have started uh, in, in delayed fashion as a result of the pandemic, and I think that it's in the public domain that the backlog is significant at the PCPA, and therefore uh, we're engaging with them uh, in regular fashion. Uh, that process is following its course. Well, uh, when it will actually conclude is something that we, we uh, don't want to and shouldn't be commenting on. Uh, I think we remain confident that we will gain full public access within that 18 to 24 month time frame uh, that uh, uh, we think is reflective of the value of VSIPA uh, and uh, uh, you know we'll, we'll update you when, when we get to a point of, uh, of uh, clarity and, and, and uh, uh, confirmation on that element. But uh, for the time being, we think that 18 to 24 month uh, window is uh, desirable and within our aim. Anything before that, of course, uh, on the front end of that range would be highly beneficial as well. Okay. Uh, and then on, just on the private side, um, are there any of the large private insurers that have not yet added the SEPA to their formulary? Uh, I will say uh, very clearly here, no, we have secured uh, uh, agreements with all the large private insurance companies. That's why we could confidently claim that those firms represent more than 90% of all privately covered lives. Okay, great. All right, that's good for me. Thanks very much. You're welcome, Noel. Thank you. Your next question comes from Justin Keywood from Stifled. Please go ahead. Good morning, and thank you for taking my call. On the Salesforce expansion, just had a follow-up question. Is this contingent on receiving the public reimbursement, or are you going ahead with the Salesforce expansion, uh, you know, given that the private side uh, could more than support uh, the additional uh, efforts? Good morning, Justin. Thank you for your question. Uh, definitely the latter. Uh, we are proceeding with the Salesforce expansion. You know, in the perfect world, you could time these things, but we don't control the outcome of the negotiations. We're participating in good faith, and uh, so is the other party, uh, and it will come in due course. But uh, the Salesforce expansion is progressing and uh, will be deployed whether this, this uh, last element in the process is finalized or not. Okay. And then uh, within the press release, uh, the HLS reaffirmed the peak sales estimate for VASIPA, uh, the 275 to 325 million. Uh, just as a reminder, is that still expected to be achieved? I, I believe it was four to five years from from the initial launch. And also, are you able to characterize the contribution of that peak sales estimate? What would it be as far as the private and public side? Yes. Uh, I'll start with the second part because it's easy. It's about uh, down the middle, uh, about 50-50. Uh, the the uh, privately covered population, 
uh, is typically a bit younger, often uh, still active, might be more reflective of the risk related to diabetes and associated uh, risk factor, while the, the uh, public sector uh, often could, could constitute a larger share of the patients with pre-existing uh, cardiovascular conditions. Uh, having said that, our assessments from uh, uh, an epidemiological standpoint uh, would point on almost perfect 50-50 delineation between, uh, between the two. Uh, with respect to our range, I think that, uh, and this is more based on analogs, typically uh, products of that size and shape uh, will, will come into their peak years uh, during the course of the fifth year or following the fifth year leading into the sixth year uh, and beyond that point, their continued growth would be more related to demographic growth or price-related changes than, than actual penetration of the market. So I think we've been of the, of the opinion very early on at the time of launch that uh, uh, you know, the fifth year would be fairly representative uh, in practice, there are fluctuations around those those averages. Uh, in our case, we had to deal to deal with the pandemic in the first year, which uh, hopefully will make up for in the coming years in accelerated fashion. But I think that uh, you know it's, it's safe to say that uh, during the course of the fifth year or or following the fifth year, we should pretty much be at uh, or close to maturity. Okay. Uh, that's helpful. And then just a final question on the clauserol growth in Canada. Uh, you mentioned the CSAM frontal being uh, deployed in a more meaningful fashion. I'm just wondering if the MyCare Insight product, uh, has that been deployed at all, and is that contributing to any patient growth? Uh, MyCare Insight has not been deployed. We, we've elected to defer the launch uh, because we thought that launching and the uncertainty of the pandemic wouldn't necessarily be a smart thing to do. We continue with Pronto. We continued, obviously, with Visipa having launched before the pandemic, but uh, we thought it would be safe to make sure that the environment is stabilized before we introduce uh, the, uh, the the MyCare device. So we, we planned this for the back end of this quarter. The situations are starting to uh, improve, and the right factors are starting to converge. Um, and uh, that that would seem to uh, uh, confirm that our, our our intent here could uh, could coalesce, and uh, you could attend to a launch before the end of the year. Okay, great. Thank you for taking my questions. You're welcome. Thank you for your questions, Justin. Your next question comes from Raul Sarageser from Raymond James. Raul, please go ahead. Yeah. Good morning, uh, Gilbertin. Um, thanks so much for taking our question. So um, I guess my first question is, is specifically on the number of prescriptions for the SIPA. The guidance had provided previously for this quarter was just sort of between eight to 14,000, recognizing, of course, that there have been COVID-related um, you know, restrictions and, and limiting your ability to drive mm -hmm. that revenue and seeing that the, that the number came in slightly below that at around 7,600. But you do refer to June being really strong. And so, you know, perhaps could you give us an I, I sense into how how July looked, and and given the you know given the the ramp that you're seeing in June and hopefully July, you know, what is your confidence that we should start now really start to see that ramp in the second half of the year? Good morning, Raul. Thank you for your uh, your question. 
Uh, allow me to make a few comments with respect to that, and I would say our limited ability in the very near term to forecast kind of weekly data points. Uh, first of all, uh, you know, I want to say that the month of June was clearly stronger. You can see it on the TRX chart here. Uh, that curve is bending. It's not getting to the steepness that uh, we alluded to during the uh, the call, but uh, clearly a strong indication. And, uh, you know, when I take a step back, while uh, we did uh, mention a range and we felt slightly below that range, uh, I have no shame in reporting those 40 to 44% quarter-over-quarter growth. I think they're healthy numbers. Uh, it goes to show that it's hard to 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 try to land, especially in the short term, on a prediction of some sort, and that there are many elements, uh, some of which are, you know, fundamentally sometimes random fluctuations, you know, a period over the other one. So uh, I would say that, uh, yes, the month of June was strong. That month of June is clearly stronger than the previous two months, hence, hence the shape of the curve. Uh, that strength uh, is carrying into the second quarter. Um, the, 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 I will not comment on July. It's still, uh, we're still getting the data for that month, but clearly, you know, July is, is typically a quieter month on the, on the physician front. Uh, but uh, when you look at it at the end of the quarter, at the end of the third quarter, these things uh, uh, get holed up anyway. So uh, uh, I would say that the strength is continuing, uh, in, should be continuing into the third quarter. And, uh, uh, you know, with respect to where that will lead in terms of quarter-over-quarter growth, uh, I'd love to be, uh, to have a great crystal ball and, and point to a precise number. Uh, I can tell you that, uh, you know, strong double-digit growth here uh, uh, continues to show how undeniable the interest of this product by the physician and their uptaking is is happening, continuing to happen in in spite of all this this obstacle course that we've been facing. So, I I like to 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 look at data uh, in as detached a way as possible, uh, interpretate what the significance of that data is in terms of physician behavior, uh, and in that case uh, and in the present case, whether we look at it at uh, at the, from a near-term standpoint, on a week-to-week basis, or from uh, from an aggregate fashion, um, it's quite undeniable that uh, product is better and better understood, that this knowledge is being disseminated progressively, and that uh, I think this is what makes it exciting to us to think of Salesforce expansion and eventually broadening of the access. It just opens up that kind of rate of growth to a, a, a much larger segment of the market. Great. Uh, thanks, everybody. Your points are well taken, and your appreciation of the data is also very much appreciated. So just a quick follow-up question. Noticed a, a small uptick in sales and marketing in, in the quarter. Now, is that sort of you guys ramping <clears throat> for Vizipa? You referred to you know that kind of starting to come online potentially in the next quarter. Can you give us a little more sense, a bit of a sense for what that sales and marketing number steady state should be as you get that Salesforce ramp. Yes, I'll, I'll give a, a part of the answer, and, and, and I'll ask Tim to chime in if there's anything that I'm missing here. Uh, you know, the result of the second quarter uh, is the aggregation of many things we've done. You know, we have all hands on deck. 
dealing uh, in the situation as it evolves. It's like building a dam with the water water level rising behind it as you build it, uh, in a sense. And uh, I would say that the result uh, uh, is, first of all, an increase on VSIPA in spending as it relates to the favorability of the guidelines that were published. So we, it triggered a number of activities that are clearly uh, incremental, and that's because we have a strong rationale to do so. At the same time, uh, I, I, I want to make sure that it's noticed that we continue to be very disciplined. We have a culture of discipline with respect to uh, our spending. We want to make sure that, that spending is done at the right time so that it's productive. And uh, it's pretty clear that uh, uh, the, the pandemic had, has had us reconsider certain type of spend because they thought they, they wouldn't have the same productivity and that productivity would be greater if we wait a little bit and then, you know, essentially unleash those means. Uh, I think the guideline is a good example of that. Uh, it happened at the end of March. Uh, we, we turned around and uh, integrated those findings into the typical field uh, and conferences-related activities, publications, and so on. And uh, the time became ripe for those to be pushed and disseminated to the broader and broader number. And that will continue, I would say, for at least the next year, if not even longer than that. Uh, so I, I, I think that, that that's pretty much some of the gr more granular element that can explain increases in spend, yet at the same time, uh, fa fairly favorable outcome in terms of top line and adjusted EBITDA. Tim, anything else you want to add? No, I, I, I think that I think that captures it uh, really well. Certainly, that was the, the the rationale behind the increased investment in Q2. It was directly in response to that opportunity and the strong recommendation that came out in those guidelines. And so that was a very very uh, smart thing to respond very quickly to that. Terrific. Thanks so much for taking our questions. We'll get back in the queue. Your next question comes from David Barton from Bloom Burton. David, please go ahead. Uh, good morning, Gilbert and Tim. Um, you had mentioned that the 50-50 uh, split between uh, public and private reimbursement in your target market. When you get public reimbursement, is it just a matter of one plus one equals two, or does getting public reimbursement also kickstart uh, greater adoption amongst, amongst the privately insured uh, patients? Um, there's a little bit of both. You know, I think it's a very good observation. The question here, uh, doctors that have uh, become comfortable using the product understand well the patient profile, but also are well aware that it is only covered by private plans, uh, are, are using it with those specific patients. And therefore, uh, when the news of a broader public reimbursement was to reach them, you would expect them to fairly spontaneously uh, augment significantly their use of the product, right? Uh, this has to be timed with, you know, those patient visits, of course. It doesn't happen the next day. But over the course of the next quarter or two, you would expect that this generalization would would happen. Uh, the, the other facet of the question is that some doctors will actually see public reimbursement as a signal 
yet again of an additional endorsement and a validation of the value of a new therapy. And those doctors, and I, I guess we could put them more in a slightly more laggard camp, you know, will get into motion uh, after having received that, that signal and, and after having integrated everything that relates to the good use of the product. So I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, net net and all, all of that will be confounded in the in, in the in, in the numbers coming. I think uh, it just goes to show the strength of the impulse and the long-lasting effect of the impulse of gaining public access. Great. Um, next question: uh, Of the roughly 7,600 scripts in Q2, what percent of those would you say were fully reimbursed, and what percent of them did you have to subsidize? And is that percentage of subsidized scripts going down each quarter? Uh, the uh, the answer has a few facets. It's never completely straightforward here, but we have uh, what we call a VAP, the VSEPA Assistance Program, uh, and that program is used by physicians and 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 patients that are presented with it, so that they can they can benefit of a certain level of support, financial support. In some cases, uh, if the patient was not covered at all that support would be very large. In the cases where uh, the patient is covered but still has to face a certain, a copay of a certain level, uh, our assistance may reduce that out-of-pocket in a way that is not insignificant. So I would say that the use of the VSEPA assistance program is probably, uh, I'll, I'll here again uh, ask them to corroborate, I think it's probably one in three patients so two-thirds of the patients are actually uh, either covered or are getting the product uh, without financial assistance, and I would say that one in three is getting financial assistance. Um, Tim, do you want to comment further? Um, just that's, that's exactly right. Um, to put a little bit more color on it, um, there's gradually kind of two trends happening. Um, we're seeing... Uh, more more patients go through and and be covered by their private plans and not 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 be part of that program at all. And then we're also seeing within the plan uh, greater greater proportion being picked up by the private insurers as well. So it's 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 gradually coming down as a, as a percentage that's covered by HLS. Okay, thanks. Um, next question: the the chart where you show uh, the SEPA, Eliquis, and Pradaxa. Um, Pradaxa and Eliquis take quite a different trajectory uh, after the sixth quarter of sales. I, I'm wondering if you can think back to why the two drugs uh, diverged at that point, and um, do you think Vasipa looks characteristically more like Eliquis or like Pradaxa? Um. You know, I think we've seen uh, the limitations of those those comparisons. We're, we're we're trying to define what is within the realm of uh, various business cases. I think that that's where the usefulness is. I certainly hope that we'd be closer to to Eliquis uh, than Prodex. Although Prodex had a very nice career within this competitive set and and in that time period, um, I, I think that. Uh, uh, you know, in the end, what makes that curve evolve in a favorable way at some point in time uh, boils down again to uh, market access, right? This is 
ultimately the final frontier, and I mean by this I mean the, the final barrier. Right. Launching a product is like an obstacle course. You need to jump over the obstacle, circumvent the obstacle, or bring it down. And uh, you know this environment is uh, is hasn't changed over the years, even if sometimes some obstacles are becoming harder to either circumvent or overcome. Uh, but market access ultimately is always uh, the ticket to play for the full market and full market share and to fully materialize the value of the product. So I think that uh, uh, with respect to, uh, to uh, Eliquis here, one could say, hey, they're, they're doing better uh, or they're taking off faster. Yes, if they reunite the conditions earlier, they will, uh, which doesn't mean that once those conditions are reunited in the case of Visipa, uh, you know, we will not have uh, a spectacular path of our own. So I, I think uh, that is really the intent in providing those elements of comparison is to uh, comfort, reassure, or give credence to um, some of those next things that we are working on as, as being truly being catalysts. Okay. Um, I just have one quick uh, housekeeping question, if I could add it. Um, the royalty dipped about uh, half a million uh, versus Q1. I, I'm wondering, was there anything one time about it? Should we expect it to bounce back, stay flat with where it was in Q2, or decrease further uh, in subsequent quarters? Tim, you want to handle that question? Sure. I, I think over time we should expect it to be relatively stable. That's part of what we uh, like about this um, diversified portfolio. Um, we perhaps were a little ahead of, of the average after Q1. This probably brings it to around where I would expect it to be on average. Okay. If you look at the run rate, it's um, very nicely up versus where it was. Um, you know, kind of annualized for the period before we acquired it, and so it's it's very much tracking with our expectations on an on a year-to-date basis. Sorry, should I average Q1 and Q2 and say that's a run rate, or Q2 is a run rate? No, no, the year-to-date. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, as a reminder, should you have a question, please press star followed by one. Your next question comes from Chelsea Stellick from IA Capital. Please go ahead. Hello, good morning. Um, just a couple of questions from me. Uh, if you could just remind me, I guess, what the current audience size is that you're targeting. Are, are the peak sales or, you know, the current target, is this based upon that audience size or is it based upon an the audience size that would be cited by the fourth catalyst, the you know the three to four increase from from a larger sales force, and and is it safe to say that you know the whole sales force will be trained and deployed and targeted for Q4? Yes. Good. Good morning, Chelsea. Thank you for your question. Uh, three elements to that answer. First of all, uh, at our, the time of our launch. And in the months that followed as the pandemic uh, uh, progressed, we were targeting first, let's say notionally, about 2,000 uh, physicians. We augmented that target size to 2,500, give or take, uh, because some physicians couldn't be reached, right? And this has been the audience that we've been working on with the existing sales force. So, yeah, 
bear in mind about 2,500, the intended uh, uh, list of, and, and size of target. Uh, the Salesforce expansion will allow us to um, close to triple that number, uh, and therefore, once that Salesforce is expanded, you could expect us to grow closer to 7,500, maybe 8,000 physicians. Uh, having said that, over time, the number of physicians per sales representative also increases. In other words, once the preliminary, the initial contacts, the first five, six, seven, eight visits have taken place and we go into maintenance mode, we then go to a second phase, which is to expand the roster of, uh, of, of, of physicians that are introduced to the SEPA physicians. So uh, I guess what I mean to say here is that uh, if a rep will, a sales representative or a territory will have at inception about 100 and 25 targets, uh, at maturity, that number could be much closer to 175 to 200. And that's why uh, we're also saying that in maturity, we'll probably reach um, closer to 12,000 physicians. We'll adjust along the way. Uh, and, and, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll tweak things. Uh, it's also dependent on territory configuration ease of travel and reach and so on. But uh, these are the raw numbers, 2,500 today, uh, more than triple in size at Salesforce expansion, and eventually at steady state, uh, 10 to 12,000. Okay, so the 2,500 or the 7,500 would be what could get you to the 275, 325 uh, range? It would be or... at steady state, would, would be once, uh, you know, things have okay. settled in and we should cover 10 to 12,000 physicians at okay. that time. Got it, got it. And um, I guess, you know, as we're seeing more restrictions with the Delta variant, um, can we expect a Q4 target or is, you know, does everything get shifted out more if, if there's more restrictions? And I guess I'm just trying to gauge the sensitivity of, of these targets to, to COVID restrictions. Uh, today, in spite of uh, the improvements that we've been, been attending to during the second quarter, we, we still have a, a, a portion of our targeted audience that have not been reached or have not been reached in sufficient frequency. Uh, so uh, I think that uh, if the situation remains stable and continues to improve, uh, that will continue to improve. If uh, in light of the uncertainty or, or the reemergence of, of constraints, uh, some doctors could, could continue on the current path and, and not open their practice to, to sales calls, then uh, I, I think that, that that should continue to uh, limit us in terms of our efficiencies and our reach. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I've kind of made the promise to myself not to speculate on what lies ahead in the environment because, uh, wait, let's face it, you know, everybody's been wrong, including myself, in trying to say where, <laughs> where the COVID will take us. Uh, one thing is clear, you know, we, we have the radar screens deployed here, and, and when the window of opportunity opens up, we, we chase it down. Uh, we'll continue to do this. Right now, it's positive. June was a clear improvement. Mm -hmm. July continued in that trend. Uh, Canada's in a good place in terms of their overall uh, uh, performance in terms of uh, 
you know, key parameters of the epidemic. So uh, I definitely have, uh, you know, optimistic lenses on, uh, but I'm still fundamentally a realist. And we, this play-by-play evolves on the basis of uh, the reality rather than, you know, our our hopes. Uh, right now, it's good, and it's an expansion. I think that's the the positive news. If it contracts again, we'll we'll have to deal with it and report it as if. Okay, thank you for that. Um, another question for me. I don't know if it's possible to answer this or, or give us guidance on this, but what would the breakout be, or what is the breakout of the Vasipa contribution uh, to your revenue? Uh, Tim, you want to comment? We're we're we typically don't provide much much guidance on the on a product to product level, and furthermore on uh, on a uh, uh, in the context of, of a launch. But Tim, is there anything useful that you you think could be shared here? Um, yeah, I, I think we've stayed away from that. Um, the Visipa results are, are growing and they're significant, so we've highlighted the, the the growth particularly quarterly, and I think we'll we'll continue to do that. Okay. Understandable. And as the last question from me, just any commentary on, on pent-up demand for CSAN Pronto? I'm sorry, on, on what kind of demand you said? On any pent-up demand for CSAN. Oh, pent-up demand. Yeah. Yeah, well, the, yeah, the, the, I would say that the demand for the technology uh, is not quite at the point of being like a spontaneous demand, right? We're not, we're not, fielding uh, requests for the demand. It is still something that we are deploying on the base of our own initiatives and our own uh, outreach. Uh, so that, that that's with respect to the deployments. And those deployments are, are, are not trivial, but when they're well done, their their effect is long lasting. But you know, it's a technological deployment, it requires training, and then eventually top of mind, uh, 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 recollection for the usage of the device every time in the future a patient you know could could benefit from it uh, the what we have attended to in the second quarter and that's why some of our numbers were were good and 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 better in relation to our competition is that uh, uh, the the deployment and the user of CSAN pronto has shown uh, its ability to bring uh, to our registry and our clausural brand patients that might not have come otherwise, right? Which is the whole point, right? Patients that uh, would either refuse to undergo treatment initiation because of the intensity of that safety blood testing, or existing patients seeing uh, the the benefit of that technology and voicing their preference, or their, their doctors voicing their preference, and therefore those patients could and would end up being moved to our registry. So I think we're seeing this nascent effect. Um, it's still clouded by the whole the whole uh, COVID environment, but at least uh, we're, we're seeing signs here that uh, those dots are being connected, and that's what we're counting on uh, in in the uh, in the forthcoming quarters and and forthcoming years is that this becomes a, a gold standard of sword and something that is uh, uncircumventable. Okay, thank you, okay. Alton. Back you. There are no further questions at this time. I'll turn it back to Gilbert for closing remarks. Thank you very much, operator. 
And thank you to uh, all of you. Thank you to all the analysts for their questions. So thank you for participating in the call. We look forward to reporting to you on our progress throughout the years. Or uh, Engine Trim uh, will certainly communicate any meaningful developments as they materialize. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Have a good day. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating and ask that you please disconnect your lines. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.